All right, here we go. I'm going to put this noisemaker away from me before I do something stupid. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, 2023 listeners. Well, I mean, they could be 2022 listeners just traveling through time. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast in 2022... Please get in touch with us. I have so many questions. We need your help. <laughs> um, that is the voice of my friend, Benjamin Hunting. As I mentioned, he is my friend and a fellow automotive journalist. In fact, you can find his work all over the internet and even in other mediums like print. Right, Ben? Sometimes. Why don't you tell them where they can find your work? Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Haggerty. Now, I know where to find your work. I don't need a reminder every single week because I'm I'm so on board with uh, everything that you do, right? I know you just block your ears whenever I hit that segment. <laughs> That's true. And I have, and I don't follow you on any social, so I'm always surprised when I see your name somewhere on the internet. Sammy also doesn't want to hear about uh, – if you're in 2022 and you're listening to this in the future, he doesn't want to hear any of your predictions because he'll block his ears there too. That's true. You can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and Automotive News. Ben, we've got some, uh, I guess they're crossovers. That's the best way. I was going to say trucks or cars or something, but I think they're crossovers to talk about this week, um, which is the, which is, I mean, let's hope it doesn't, let's hope we have more exciting cars in the future, right? Wow, you're really kind of downplaying this show before it's even started. Yeah, of course I am. But no, these are interesting crossovers. You drove um, one that I've driven a little while ago. What was it again? So we're this week we're talking about a pair of fake off-roaders. And yeah. when I say fake off-roaders, I mean even more fake than usual in the soft-roader segment. Um, we're going to start... Soft, Soft-roaders? Cosplaying? What are, you, what are we calling these? Things? I don't even know. It's So the vehicle I'm driving, I, I drove, sorry, is the Kia Sportage X-Line. And there's two versions of the X-Line. There's the one I drove, which is just the base X-Line. And then there's like, what is it, X-Line Pro, Sammy? I don't know. I, I made that up. I didn't mean that... I didn't know if that was a real... No, there is there is a second version of the X-Line. I can't really? remember exactly what it's called. Um, I'm gonna sorry, it is, it's called the X-Pro. So X Pro. What the X Line does is it gives you an off road look. And I'm so X- sorry, Ben, for throwing you off your game immediately on the podcast. That's okay. Making making jokes during our preamble. So the the X Line the X Line gives you an off road look. Uh, you get like kind of a fake skid pad, skid skid pad, fake skid plate, more aggressive, slightly more aggressive bodywork. Uh, but the X Pro comes with a. It has like different types of of uh, drive modes that you don't get on the X line. It comes with a lockable center differential, and it actually comes with 17 inch rims and all terrain tires, whereas you just get all season tires and and larger rims even on the X line. And I want to point something out here, Sammy. Am I mistaken in thinking that a lot of older Kias that had all wheel drive used to give you that 50 50 torque lock standard with all wheel drive? I'm not sure about standard. I do remember seeing more of them. Like I'm, I remember seeing that feature more often, but I can't recall if it was like 
a real locking sort of diff. But it wasn't. It wasn't what I'm. I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't a special off-road edition. Yeah, no, it was I don't just, think so. You had all-wheel drive, and it was like a, a, a you know Kia. Maybe you're in a Telluride, and you push a button or a Sorento. I guess is probably more accurate. And it had like a little dialer button that it said like fifty-fifty. And I don't know how much it actually locked it, but yeah. I think it was more of a way to get away from the slip and grip style all-wheel drive system that you might be expecting, and kind of direct more power on a continuous basis to the rear axle. So the fact that Kia has monetized that now by moving it away from a standard version of the Sportage in this case and only making it available in the X Pro, I, I the it's, first generation the first generation Sorento had like full time all wheel drive and a four x four low mode. So yeah, but I mean that was a, <laughs> I believe that was a body on frame vehicle. This is like yeah. that's quite a long time ago. But what I'm saying is this is one of those weird cases where it's like addition by subtraction where you're not yeah. really getting a special model. You're getting a. It, I, Albeit, yeah, it does have the tires and and the wheels, and maybe it's it's a center differential that's more hardcore than what you had in the past. But what they really did was take something you used to get all the time and make it only available in a single trim. So that's that's okay. a little bit frustrating. Anyway, all of that to say, the I ex- do think we need to hold on. I want I want to pause you on your on your rant here because the name the nomenclature of X Line X Pro. I made that as a joke. I think it's really sad that it's like dependable. That they can just come up with these these terms that really don't mean much, and as you're saying, potentially take away from from like sell upsell you on something that you used to be able to get pretty standard in the past. Right? Yeah, they, well, it's a it's a weird upsell too because I mean X Pro does have all the stuff I just mentioned, but X Line, as I mentioned, is mostly cosmetic, mm-hmm. except for the fact that it has so and it has 19 inch rims instead of the 17s with the all terrains, and it's it's like blacked out and. Um, but the weird thing about how it's positioned in the lineup is they, they say it has a, a taller ride height. The X-Line model has a taller ride height. And that's okay. true only if you compare it to front-wheel drive models. So it has 8.3 inches of ground clearance, which is all all-wheel drive Sportages have that. And it's it's like, I don't know. Uh, the, 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 you could make the argument that the X-Line comes standard with all-wheel drive. I believe it's the only Sportage up to that price point, which I think it's like around 33 or something like that, that comes with all-wheel drive. You don't have to add it as an option. Okay. Uh, the the X-Pro itself is like another four grand on top of that. So you're, you're approaching $40,000 if you want to get into the X-Pro. I believe these numbers are accurate. I'm just kind of uh, now, pulling, pulling them out, out of my memory. Sorry, it's, it's 31000 yeah. Uh, for the for the X line, and then I guess thirty five for the X Pro with no options. Okay, it's not. Look, I mean, cars are getting more and more expensive. I think sure. automakers have realized they can sell whatever they want. They can they can put a number, whatever number they want, and people seem to buy them. Yeah, but I mean, the regular um, Sportage starts at under twenty eight. So that's awesome. Yeah, you know that's that's a pretty good deal. And it's not awesome. It's pretty good. Yes. You you you're you're spending three more for the X line and then another four for the X Pro. So that's a pretty big. That's like a seven thousand dollar window to get to the fake off-road version now when i drove this um this vehicle a few years uh, i mean a few months ago i was really impressed by how much the sportage has grown from what used to be a bit of a like a like honestly a joke in the in the automotive industry back in the late 90s and early 2000s into something that like really sells well it feels like a fully finished product i'm not sure that there's any any discrete area with the vehicle that was like They've kind of like dropped the ball here. Well, it's interesting you mentioned grown because this is an it's it's redesigned for 2023 mm-hmm. and it, it now rides on the Sorrento platform. 
which is a much larger vehicle. It's a, it's a midsizer. Wow. So they've they've used a version of that platform to give it more interior space. Uh, the the styling I think is pretty great. I really like what they've done with the lighting on the front end of the vehicle. I've had a few people complain to me that they think it's kind of over aggressive and a little busy. The X light has like a serrated bumper underneath that you don't get on the other versions of the vehicle. Serrated bumper. Yeah, it's I like love the, that. I love that. Term. That's exactly. It's just how it looks to me. Like the 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 bottom it's of spiky. the the bottom <laughs> of the bumper has like that sawtooth kind of look. Uh, But I I think it works well. But what really impresses me about the Sportage, and this is because I think this was underscored by the fact that I picked this vehicle up immediately after spending a week in the CRV. And we talked about the CRV in the last podcast and how essentially it's it's unimpressive in every way, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's it's the wallpaper of the crossover business um, in the compact segment. Mm -hmm. I get inside the Sportage and it just felt so much nicer. In contrast yeah. to the Honda. And it's I, I want to say it's not like this is a luxury vehicle, but they did put some thought into the design of the interior. The materials just kind of came across as nicer. The The way the infotainment screen is integrated with the gauge cluster, it's it's better. It's It, it looks like mm-hmm. they made more of an effort. And I... If I have one complaint about it, it has the context-sensitive HVAC and stereo controls, uh, which is something we complained about in the past with Land Rover vehicles, where there are hard buttons to control various vehicle functions, but depending on the context, they change. So mm-hmm. it's the same buttons to control stereo stuff, and then you push another button and it flips to to uh, heating and cooling, and then it flips to something else. and. It's annoying because I, I just why not just have dedicated buttons, Sammy? I don't get yeah. it. Like it, it does take up a very small amount of space, but having to flip back and forth and having to remember which function this dial is doing now that I'm touching it is a little bit too cute for me. Yeah, I actually think that it automatically reverts back to the HVAC controls. So you in order for you to change volume or in order your for your passenger to change the volume of the vehicle, they have to First, select this button on a touchscreen, then rotate one of the knobs that used to be an HVAC control. And then I don't know if you want to go through every time there's somebody in the in the passenger seat, you're going to have to basically tell them that trick, right? Like that. Well, I mean, I don't think people are just going to like they're going to ask you, right? They're not just going to start reaching and dialing, especially since it does clearly look like an HVAC control. (laughs) I don't don't know. I think people. I need to tell everybody. You look. You have some handsy passengers. (laughs) Yeah. If you have if you like this song. Here's how you turn up the volume. If you don't, here's how you turn it down. I don't think so. Here's the weird thing. When I'm driving, that's not how it works. It's like I'm picking the music and if I like it, I will turn it up. Is that is that wrong? No, I don't think that's wrong. Okay. I'm much more accommodating. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I, I let my passenger control whether or not to skip songs. They are there for the ride, essentially, right? Like I'm the one p- driving. They're the one along for the ride. So you're you're the one doing all the work, but they're the one whose comfort is paramount. I get it. Yeah, I think okay. so. I understand. Um it's important that you bring up the you you brought up a lot of uh important like words, keywords to me, like effort, okay? And this is something that we need to talk about especially in relation to last week's um or the last episode's car, which is the CRV. Um effort is is the word of the day, I think when it comes to Kia and the and the Sportage and Honda and the CRV. It's not that Honda didn't put any effort in their vehicle, but the effort was was kind of restrained or or emphasized with them maintaining the status quo. Whatever their CRV meant to their company before, that's what it's still going to mean. While the the Kia Sportage has now 
gotten the effort of getting all sorts of new powertrains. It's gotten a new platform. It's got a, a, a like everything about it has been flipped in some way to make Sportage mean more than it used to mean. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're a challenger brand like Kia has been historically, you, you never really stand around and watch and see what everyone else is doing. Um, you, you have to, at some point, take the lead. And I think that they have created this package that is, to me, far more appealing aesthetically and from a design perspective than the CRV. Now, whether that matters to people who are buying a compact crossover or not, I don't know. Do you think that mm. design is a factor for people choosing these vehicles? Slightly. I think at one point you're eventually going to look at these compact crossovers, or as Honda calls them, midsize crossovers, and say, you know, which one's the right fit for me? Which one has the best um, value for the money, right? And I think always the Hyundais and Kias come out on top. They load their vehicles full of, full of features and equipment, um, and then you end up trying to figure out which one you like based on design or, or space, right? Yeah, I... So, uh, on the other hand, I think some people do shop based on the relationship they have uh, or previous relationship they might have with their local dealers. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also there's reputation uh, yeah. of, of the brand. There's what their friends and family have had. I think it's very easy to get stuck in. I'm not going to say it. I guess I'll say like you're stuck in a rut where mm -hmm. you're comfortable with something, which means you don't necessarily try something else. And that's something that Kia has to overcome by getting people in their showrooms. And a way to do that is by, you know, making your vehicle not just have more features for the money, which is a value proposition most people can understand, but also something that's attractive enough to get them to open up the brochure and discover that value in the first place. And I think that's what Kia is currently doing. I mean, sure, I was kind of like laughing at the past generation of Sportages, which were these really goofy looking um, anonymous, you know, cars. Um, and then the Sportage now has this really rugged, aggressive front end, sawtooth, like uh, lower bumper. Um, I think it falls flat kind of near the end, near the rear of the vehicle. But the cabin is, is much more sort of stylish and, and eye catching. Now, what else really stood out about about this vehicle? Did the did the because I wasn't so impressed with the hybrid powertrain. I always felt like it was holding back. Well, I mean, in terms of standing out, I do have to say that cargo space-wise, it matches the CRV okay, pretty great. much. Uh, and that's with the rear seats in, in use. If you fold them flat, it's almost as big as the CRV, like very close. Yeah. But it definitely does match it normally. That That's important, I think. Yep. Um, especially since the Sportage, even though it is on the Sorrento platform, it doesn't come across as super huge. So it's very manageable in traffic. It's very manageable in a city. I didn't have any problems with it. Um, but the drivetrain itself, I mean, I had the non-hybrid model. So it's a it's, it's like a 187 horsepower, two and a half liter four-cylinder engine. It is adequate. That is the okay. best word I can use. I believe it's a six-speed. Uh, sorry, it's an eight-speed. It's an eight-speed, yeah. Eight speed, yeah. Um, it wasn't really I, – I, the, the nice thing about it compared to the CRV, I didn't get the buzziness from the CVT. Uh, I believe the CRV is CVT, right? If, yeah. I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And uh, Yes, I hope so. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the, C, the, the CRV also had more torque. If I remember, uh, this has 178 pound-feet, but the, um, the Honda has the turbocharger that gives you a little bit more low-end grunt. To be honest – Driving this was it was a an anonymous experience. It was fine. It uh, didn't really make me want to drive it. It didn't make me not want to drive it. There's nothing about it that stands out. Uh, fuel economy, I think, is pretty mid pack. 
23 miles per gallon city and 28 on the highway. That's totally fine. Um, I had an issue with the CRV where I wasn't able to match those numbers. I don't remember having that problem with the Sportage, although I did not mm. drive it quite as much. Oh no, okay. I, I, I take that back. I I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, I did not drive the Sportage on the highway the same length of time that I did with the CRV. So, uh, but it's again, it, it didn't really make an impression on me driving wise. It's like I look at it, I get inside. Oh, this feels good. This feels premium. This looks nice. And then you turn the key and you drive it, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, like there, there's there is a disconnect there. But okay. again, at the price point this is being sold at, I think that's okay. Interesting. Um, I'm 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 worried that. Um... People are not paying attention. Uh, that they're not wor- hearing. <laughs> what do you mean by worried? I mean, you see this much uh, energy going into um, a product that competes with the CRV and the RAV4 and the Escape, and those are all like top-selling products. Um, and it doesn't seem like those that hierarchy is budging much when you've got vehicles like the Sportage and the Tucson, um, and like let's say the CX-5 or the CX-50 that I'll be talking about later. Um, trying all sorts of new things and and just not making an impact on the market. Well, it's entirely possible that, as I was mentioning earlier, maybe no one cares. You know, maybe yeah. this is a, a either a do-as-you're-told segment or a do-what-you're-comfortable-with segment, or you just buy based on price alone and a dealership nearby has something that is on sale. I mean, that probably yeah. unlikely these days. But uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not an enthusiast segment, that's for sure. Uh, again, maybe your neighbor bought one and you like how it looks in their driveway and you end up buying one too. It's it's really – there's so much choice in this segment and we've talked in the past about how there's only a few real outliers like the, the Bronco Sport, you know, which is trying to do something super different from – at least stylistically from what most of these other vehicles are doing. There's, there's just not a lot of that. It's it's A lot of it is same-same and you just pick your flavor of, of same and, and you go with it. I think that's okay. I yeah. mean, as as long as the vehicle is at its core good and you're not paying too much for it, it's hard to argue against that. And and it's also, I think, as long as a vehicle stays up to date and it doesn't just stay out there um, and you end up paying like a modern price for a vehicle that was, was designed five years ago. That's a good point, actually. Um, so is it easy to recommend the, the Sportage? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend it if if design matters to you and if you want to feel like you're in a less sterile driving environment. I don't think there's anything in the CRV that you would miss by going for the Sportage. And anything more that you think you get in the Sportage? Oh, yeah, design, for sure. Design and, and a very nice cabin. What about that locking, that center locking differential, if that matters? I didn't drive the X Pro, so I can't say if that's if that's worth it. I For what it's worth, the X line that I had, we had a snowstorm the week I had it. And I had no issues with the normal all-wheel drive okay. version of the Sportage in terms of traction or anything like that. I think it's totally fine. I don't really imagine many people are going to take the X Pro off-road. Uh, again, that it's we've had a lot of wilderness talk out there when we talk about the Subarus um, and this whole craze, right? The TRD Pro version of the RAV4. You know, it's kind of funny that Honda is one of the co- the few companies I think that's on the outside looking in, not partaking. What they've got Trail Sport. I don't know what that is, but they've got it. For, not for the CRV. No, not yet. So they, they they haven't really budged on that. Again, probably because they don't have to because they sell so many of them. Yes. But I, I, does that that argument could also apply to the Rav Four? I don't know. It's complicated. I guess is what I'm saying. I agree. 
Um, anything else you want to say here? No, I think that wraps it up. I mean, it's 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 a vehicle that doesn't make a lot of an impression, but the general impression is positive um, for everything but the drivetrain, in which case it's just merely average. Everything else about it, though, is is worth looking into. I think when you when it comes to speaking about design, one of the companies that I think has has really made their name on design. Um, in a different way, has been Mazda. And I'm driving the new CX-50, which is a very attractive-looking vehicle from the outside, from the exterior. Uh, very in a, in a different way. I don't think it looks over-styled like some of these Korean cars might seem. It uh, they, they seem to have a more reserved way of applying exterior design. It's a smoother look, uh, more mature and, and high-end. And the, the vehicle I'm driving is the CX-50. It is a special edition of the CX-50 called the Meridian Edition, which I think is new for 2023. What does that mean, Meridian? It means that it's got some extra doodads. Um, there's a big sticker on the hood. I'm okay. sure that matters to somebody. What kind of sticker? What does it say? It, it says CX-50 Meridian Edition. It says, it says that whole sentence? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I've also got... Um, the Apex package, with a, which is a $1,200 package, which also adds a big roof platform, they call it. It's basically like a flat roof, like, what do you call it, tray? I don't so know. So you're, you're paying $1,200 to subtract how many miles per gallon? <laughs> yes, and add some extra noise on the highway. Um, there's also, you're going to love this, black wheel locks and lug nuts, as well as special Meridian Edition uh, or exclusive black crossbars. All of that for 1200 bucks. So Apex is basically a cargo hold, a cargo container thing. Yeah, and some blacked out bits here and there. Okay, that's a little weird, um, but okay. It is it is a little weird, including the other features that my my vehicle was equipped with. It ended up costing a little over $40,000, which I think is a tiny bit mm, too expensive for a a compact crossover. Yeah, I mean, um, especially since the CX-50, like the Sportage, starts at 27000 Yes, and there's also the CX-5. In, in the lineup as well, which doesn't feel as dated anymore. I don't know if it, it feels super dated. It doesn't feel that dated. Um, now, this is the first time I've driven the CX-50, which is, uh, it's been a little while since it came out. And I honestly, I, I every time I looked at it, I thought, this might be um, a good fit for me. I, I, to me, it reminds me so much of the Subaru Outback. Um, and that's a product that really appeals to me. But when you start driving the CX-50, you, you get a different impression altogether. The exterior might look outback, but the interior really doesn't. It feels a little more more upscale, high end. Um, there are some complaints to be made about the infotainment system that Mazda has chosen to use these days. For sure. I mean, when you talk about the upscale interior, I think it's hmm. I think that facade is completely ruined by two things. One is the infotainment system, which is hmm. seriously behind the rest of the pack and difficult to use. But the other is the the analog, mostly analog gauge cluster. Uh, I found it kind of out of step as well with what we're expecting. There's no real wow factor to it. And considering the price point that this vehicle's at, I was expecting more from... Uh, more, the, the, more tech or something, right? Well, I, I want to be dazzled, I guess. Because, I mean, the seats yeah. and the dash and, you know, the door panels and stuff, they look pretty nice. Yeah. But then you kind of, you look at what you're looking at directly in front of you and it kind of looks like any Mazda from the last five or six years. I agree with you on that. Um, mine does have a kind of like a circular gauge cluster um, in the center, in the center gauge, if that makes sense that you can, you know, flip through. It looks really well integrated, but um, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm a little just caught off guard by, by 
the approach, I think, is the most important thing. And I think I'm not the only one. I think a lot of people were curious as to what Mazda was thinking when they're making a product that seems to compete directly with the CX-5. Like, yeah, this, this and- is $1,000 uh, more expensive. It is more or less the same size-ish. Um, and is offered with the same powertrains. And they also, the, the the way they kind of sidestepped that was they're like, oh, well, this is kind of the off-road friendly version of the vehicle. And how do you know that? Well, because it's got some body cladding and like mm-hmm. it's got some fender flares. But then you look at the fact that it's riding on like 20-inch wheels. <laughs> okay, so this is where the Meridian Edition slightly ch- changes things. It's got 18s okay. with uh, slightly knobbier tires. I wouldn't call them the knobbiest tires or the most... Uh, off-road oriented tires but they are as far as i can tell they're uh wild peak ats like uh, all-terrain tires so what's the point of the cx50 if the cx50 requires its own special edition yeah. to get what the cx50 is supposed to be like that you is tell a, me right like you're, you're getting the you're you're paying a little bit more for the like they've they've made how do you describe it they've made a brand within their brand yeah it's that like, you have to like an aspiration within their own lineup of a vehicle. Why right? not just make a Meridian CX-5? That's it. Exactly. Yes, I agree with you 100% there. And that's, I think, a little easier to sell too. Like, you know, Wilderness, Meridian, X-Pro. They, these are, it's it's not, it's, it's not, it's not like they made a, a, a Bortage, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's just it's strange. Yeah. I, um, I, or maybe we saw, maybe, did you think Mazda thought about making the CX-5 look like the CX-50 and then weren't sure if they wanted to replace the CX-5 and they just ended up kind of pushing this out of the market as like kind of a trial balloon? Well, they kind of did that with the CX-30 and the CX-3. The two vehicles were sold at the same time. Yeah. Dramatically different vehicles, though, I will admit. Really? I mean, the 3 is 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 next to useless. In, for, yeah, for closer related to, I think, a Mazda 2, I guess. It was just too small inside. I mean, cargo and rear passenger space was severely compromised in that vehicle. But these two vehicles were sold side by side. I think the CX-30 made the case for itself um, as being a more, uh, like, normal vehicle, more desirable vehicle by customers and they eventually got rid of the cx3 which was ancient and and you know different i actually really enjoyed driving the cx3 but it just wasn't what the market really um wanted the cx5 and the cx50 just seemed so close to each other and i don't think you can put your whole reputation on it being an off-road oriented or even a premium oriented version of the cx5 which can also be really well equipped yeah, right? it's it's really neither of it, it's really a vehicle that has a confusing identity. At now, least further, further the conf, furthering the confusion. When I drove this vehicle, um, I had it for two weeks over the over the holidays, which is what uh, some of these fleets do. And um, I was really unimpressed with the turbocharged powertrain that I had. It is supposed to be a a a motor that is. Let me get, try to get all the specs here for you. It's a two hundred fifty six um, horsepower, I believe. Mm-hmm. And 320 pound-feet of torque, but only if you put it on 93-octane fuel. Now, having this option, I think, is the problem. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I drove it expecting that 256 horsepower and 300 pound-feet of torque. And I've got something that felt wrong, like very, very wrong. Now, I have Sorry. a question for you. Do you think you picked it up and some cheapo journalist put in a tank of regular gas? I don't know if – I don't want to – I don't want to call out, you know, other journalists or whatever. This is – I had it with like 1,200 kilometers on it, which means that that was it, right? Like I must have been the first person driving it. Um, and the, later on in the in the week when I emptied the tank and ended up putting um, some 93 in it, 
man, this car came alive. It not only, like, felt more responsive, it felt, uh, it sounded really good, um, and it just felt great. Like, this is what I was expecting from the get-go, um, and I was really, really concerned as to what, if th- something something was wrong, either with the engine or the uh, transmission. It almost felt like the car was in the wrong gear every time I tried to do anything with it um, beforehand. It just, it had no, absolutely no go. Um, until I changed the the octane, I fa- I was really impressed with the the engine as well. I like the fact that it doesn't have a CVT. Uh, it has an old school six speed, which is yeah. I think kind of the Achilles heel for Mazda right now from a fuel economy perspective. But yeah. it does work with this package. Uh, I think the fuel economy is about twenty three twenty nine. You know that's almost exactly the same as the <laughs> the Sportage I was just talking yeah. about. Yeah. So and with more power here, right? Yeah, definitely a lot more power. So I, I got to take that back. Maybe they don't need to go to an eight-speed to get more fuel mileage. Now, if you are going to get, if you do want to get a lot out of this car and that motor, I recommend not getting the Apex Edition because it adds that big old rack to the to the the vehicle. Yeah, um, that one uh, you can really feel that thing. We had a couple of like stormy days here during the winter. Lots of wind um, pushes the car around quite a bit, and you hear it significantly at highway speeds this really annoying hum that um that just deteriorated from the just really detracted from the overall experience um of driving this vehicle so i really there were moments with this car i really liked it and there were more that were that were um really unimpressive and then there's again the whole placement of the product within the whole portfolio for 30 for almost 40 grand I'm going to maybe suggest an Outback. I think you can get a number of different ger- versions of the Outback, including the Onyx edition with the turbocharged engine. Um, and it's and much larger too, right? Like, Yeah, I think you'd be really impressed. You don't need to get the Wilderness, I don't think so, or Wilderness. Uh, totally unnecessary. It'll get the job done in, in any of these these packages. I but I do think that the, the Mazda drives better. Uh, from if you if you care about sporty driving and you're willing to um, I guess look into it as a question of degrees, like it's not going to be a sports car, but it no. is it is going to handle better than an Outback. It's it's more. I think, that, I think it's close, man. I know I'm not sure people are really emphasizing that feel on a vehicle of this size. I don't know. I shape. feel like this is smaller than an Outback and a little bit lighter. Okay, and uh, I think that comes across when you're driving it. But of course you. You don't get, I believe, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't think you get the same level of practicality as you would in an Outback in terms of cargo space. Right. So that's, um, that's the trade-off. And also, Subaru has a very different interior, which is something you should yes. also mention. Very true. I, I, I won't forget that, obviously. The curb weights are very close, actually. Both around 3,900 pounds. Uh, 30, 3, okay. Which is kind of heavy for that Mazda. But anyways. Yeah, it does feel heavy. Um, That's my take on it. Not my, not, again... Not my favorite product in the in the Mazda portfolio. It is a very attractive looking car, but um, so is the CX-5, and so are some of the other products that Mazda makes. And I think if you're really after a stylish uh, vehicle with a with a, a really sleek interior, this is it. But just be warned that the infotainment system um, not great. It feels a little clunky. You can only do like one thing at a time. It feels. But I will admit that they've updated the infotainment system to use um, Android Auto with two kind of with a, a split a split screen mode which is very convenient um and there's a t- i think i believe there's a touch screen oriented aspect of it yeah. it's just placed kind of very far away yeah mazda really needs to figure out what's going on here 
Um, there was also a weird feature I pointed out on my on my Instagram that a lot of people were asking me about. There's like a warning sign that if you press both the brake pedal and the gas pedal at the same time, the car will freak out. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's funny that it feels like a like a a safety feature that needed to be invented, like for this specific purpose. Like, I don't know if you know was it was this necessary. The, I think uh, it's all related to the unintended acceleration thing. That Toyota, the format thing? Yeah, and uh, Toyota yeah. implemented a similar feature on all of its vehicles. Did it beep at you? I think it just cuts power. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, okay, that's uh, that's all I think about the, the CX-50. I want to drive some other cars this year. I can't wait to drive some other cars. No, no, that's it. I mean, it's just Can CX-50s week after week after week. <laughs> Ultra long-term test of the Mazda CX-50. Uh, but speaking of, you know, you know, new year, new business, um, we had uh, we have a, an announcement to make about our contest that we were running through the month of December. Yeah. We want to thank everyone who entered for the chance to get a copy of uh, Racing with Rich Energy. The, the Formula One sponsorship scandal book that was written by Alanis King and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blackstock. We have one copy that we're giving away. And we, we what we did was we put everyone's name into a random, assigned them a, a number and they did a random number generator. And the the winner uh, is David. Uh, and Yeah, and we will be reaching out, David, by email. Sammy specifically will be reaching out by email to get, a, get your details on where he should ship your copy of the book. So thank you, everyone who entered. Uh, we wish we had more to give away, but we we don't. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a popular book. You can still get copies. They are out there, and I do highly recommend it. Thank you, everyone. Um, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast, you also probably don't know about our website. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, while you're over there, you'll see all of our previous episodes, all 300 of them, I guess, which is Yeah, this is episode too many. 301, uh, ringing in the new year. That's way too many. Like, right? That's too many. Should we start removing some or something like that? Can we? Should we? That's like almost, vault, I think, 12 things? days of continuous listening. We need to vault things. Make, make people pay for the old episodes. No, Not that they're any better in any way or form. That's crazy talk, get, Sammy. I think we get better every, every week. That's Anyways. also crazy talk. In addition, while you're at our website um, and you see all of our other episodes, you can see photos of the car that we've been, the cars that we've been driving. You can see links to the stories that we published about them, and you can also um, get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. You fill out the contact form. It lands in our inbox. We hear, we read it. We we talk about it. We we include any of that content that you might have suggested suggested in our next episode. Um, you can also reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. Um, though I'm less vocal these days because it seems like everyone on Twitter is really angry all the time. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, what else can we say? You can also email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. So uh, next week, Sammy, uh, we're actually not going to have an episode next week because you have decided to leave the I have to travel. I have to just – I have to get out there, Ben. I have to see the world. Sammy's disruptive lifestyle means we will be skipping, skipping a week. Um, but when he comes back, what are you going to be talking about, Sammy? I have so many stories to tell. Um, I'll be in Europe again, and so I, I'm hopefully going to be telling you some stories about the cars that I, I check out over there. Okay, and I'm going to be talking about some North American cars, uh, <laughs> specifically the BMW 8 Series, the M850i Coupe, and the Land Rover Defender 130, Sammy. I forgot to mention, I also am going to be driving a new Honda Pilot. 
Are Does you? anyone like the Honda Pilot? I guess we're going to find out. Okay, we'll find out. I mean, Thanks the, for listening. Oh, the yeah. Honda Pilot is so under the radar, I did not even know that there was a new model coming out. I thought maybe it would be like a mid-cycle refresh, but Sammy has informed me it is a full redesign. So I'm very well, curious to hear about it. In your mind, every time you think of the Honda Pilot, you think of the original first-gen boxy one? Actually, it's funny because uh, th- that – I believe we talked about it this summer, but uh, I ended up on – I went on vacation to Maine this summer. Yes. And I went to – it was like an island off the coast of another island, and you can't really bring a vehicle. So there, the place that we rented had a vehicle associated with it so you could get to the dock and back. And it was a first-generation Pilot. And yeah, I had never it. I had never been in one. My father was doing most of the driving, and he loved it. He was all about it. He loved the size of it, the comfort of it. It was just – I mean, it's its cool because if you think about it, like that size vehicle doesn't really exist anymore. Like back then, that was, I guess, large midsize, and now it's probably the same size as the Sportage, maybe a little bit bigger. But yeah, that, there's my there's my pilot anecdote for everyone. Finally. Was... I, always, I always try to draw it out of you. You know me. Yeah. It takes, uh, thanks, takes everyone, for listening. I appreciate it. We'll have more pilot anecdotes, I'm sure, next next time. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.